Peace, grace, this is Pastor Colton Lott from First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, El Reno. We have the privilege of building Christian community in El Reno for the world. And so if you care about building Christian community or El Reno or the world, we're glad you're listening to this podcast. If you want to help contribute to the gospel work of this congregation, please visit our website, fcclreno.org, and go to the Give Online tab. And now, here's the sermon for the week. Get out your Bibles, or if you have it on your phone, pull that up or join along as it's behind me, however it is that you experience these words best. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. May God add blessings to the readings of these words in every time and in every place. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we long to see the living word of God that is Jesus, alive, still, present in our midst. And so speak through me in spite of me so that we might experience that living word of God again as we receive something holy, something good, and something true. Amen. Now, as most of you know, I wanted or was called to be a disciples pastor from an obnoxiously young age. And because of that, I also wanted to go to a disciples college that would prepare me to go on to seminary. Um, Just by the way, it takes seven years of schooling to become an ordained minister, much like it does to be an attorney at law. Congratulations, by the way, to Christian Reinhardt on passing the bar exam. And I knew that Eureka College was going to be my best shot because they had a scholarship for precocious 17-year-olds who knew they wanted to be ministers. If you wanted to meet a bunch of weirdos, ask to get together a bunch of 17-year-olds that want to be ministers. So one weekend in November, my senior year of high school, my dad and I decided that we would trek out to Illinois to see this famed place. We left one Friday night in November, 
to make it for a Saturday morning open house because, well, when you travel with Chris Lott, that's just kind of how you're going to do it. And so we basically, and he basically drove all night. So after a few hours in a hotel, we finally go to Eureka uh, because Eureka is so small it doesn't actually have a hotel of its own. And as we're driving in, I tried to take everything in. This, this, this. Could I go here? Could I live here? Could I belong here? I mean, none of my family lived outside of Oklahoma. To be more precise, all of my close family lived in Pontotoc County, Oklahoma. In the photos on the website, the beautiful red brick buildings looked ancient and wise against green trees and blue skies. And that was one of the days that I learned that websites always give the best face. <laughs> and so as we drove into that tree-lined campus, the buildings, they didn't look so ancient and wise. They looked kind of tired and worn against that winter gray sky that only the Midwest can produce on bare trees. There wasn't a section on the website to warn all those Southerners that those gray skies in the winter replace all the blue ones. The people were fine. The people were great. Pat, my admissions counselor, had flat vowels and arms that were wide and ready to hug me on arrival. We listened to several speakers from the college tell us how great it was to be here and how lucky we were to be considering it. And then we went out for a tour of campus, all four blocks of it, built on the only hill in the city. In our last stop, uh, you know, a, a Q&A with professors was on the second floor of an old building with some shabby gray carpet. And I entered a classroom that the 90s forgot, a computer lab. And the professor didn't turn on the lights because of his PowerPoint. And I scanned the room and I took in the beautiful laugh and plaster. And then I noticed how in the corner that laugh and plaster was cracked and peeling. And I decided it was probably a good thing he didn't turn the light on for his presentation. The day wrapped up. We got back in the car, and I didn't know what to feel. I mean, it was kind of dingy, all four blocks of it. What was I doing? What was this place, and how was it supposed to be good news? In our scripture today, Mark's gospel hits the ground running. After a brief prologue, just a sentence, we are off and running after John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who is reenacting those words of Isaiah, of preparing the way of the Lord, of making his paths straight. John is weird. Even weirder than Precocious 17-year-olds who want to be ministers. He has funny clothes and a bizarre diet and a strange pulpit by the River Jordan, inviting all the people of Jerusalem and greater Judea to come and confess their sins in public, receive a baptism for the repentance of sins. This is how Mark's gospel begins the good news of Jesus with crusty John. How curious. 
As most of you know, we are continuing our worship series, Back to Bible School, about how we can read and love the Bible better. And today, we are doing so, reading and loving the Bible better, by thinking through the good news of Jesus. I think it's fair to say that the heart of the Bible for me, for this church, for most of us, are the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I remember one time my minister growing up, uh, uh, they hired a, a new administrative assistant at First Christian Church of Ada, and she volunteered to organize all the sermons Pastor Vicki had given. And so Pastor Vicki gave her the stack of sermons that had sat in the corner, and she put them in a file folder, all 66. She had 66 little folders, and it turned out she really only needed like 10 because four right in the middle were the Gospels where 80% of these sermons landed. And that's true for me, too. Most of my sermons, most of my study, most of my preparation for life comes from these books, these Gospels. That's a funny word, gospel. Why do we call these four stories, these four biographies of Jesus, gospels? I mentioned a few moments ago that Mark's gospel begins with a short prologue, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That original word for good news in Greek, hang with me, it's only a minute, in Greek is euangelion. Or gospel. A few historical notes. Mark is the oldest of the four gospels. Seemingly borrowing from Paul, such as how Paul used the word gospel in Galatians 1 today that Roger read. He puts this term in the first sentence of his book, Mark does, about Jesus. To describe the mission and ministry of Jesus. And it's likely that because... Mark's gospel uses it here in this first sentence. Well, that's why we call all four of these portraits of Jesus gospels. But something that's lost to our modern ears is that this word euangelion, which just as a fun aside is related to the word angel and is a transliteration of the word evangelism. This word that means gospel or good news means a particular kind of good news. It's good news of victory, especially militarily, that a battle has been won, a war has ended triumphantly. As Nadia Boltz Weber, that tattooed preacher that was in our little snippet at the beginning of worship, mentions that the prologue, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is one loaded sentence. To complete that, it's loaded because not just anybody got to be a son of God, and not just Jesus was referred to in that world as the son of God, but particularly emperors were called sons of God. Caesar was a son of God. Caesar Augustus was a son of God. They brought military victory. They were the ones who got gospels. But Jesus, a man of questionable circumstances, from a backwater on the edge of the empire, who led not with a sword but by healing, and who didn't run bread and circuses to mollify the people, but rather multiplied bread for crowds on hillsides who hung on his words of teaching. Jesus, who didn't march into Jerusalem on white imperial chargers, but rode in on a donkey with a ticker tape parade. 
Jesus, a nobody, executed on a hill with other common criminals. People like that don't bring gospels. And yet at the heart of the Christian faith is the proclamation that this Jesus does bring a gospel. Brings a story of victory. Brings good news. Unexpectedly good news. It is in this unexpected, uh, unconventional Jesus that we learn that God's way of love and justice or righteousness can defeat the ways of self-interestedness, of evil, of apathy. It is in Jesus that we learn that the old, tired tools of the empire, just like the tools of Pharaoh, cannot save us. That warfare and greed and dominance and submission, us versus them, always leads to death. And it is in Jesus that we learn that death is not the final word. But that the God who has created us is creating still. And that the God who led us to life in the first place is the same God who will lead us into life anew. Where everything is recreated once more. It's not expected that an itinerant preacher and wonder worker would have something that the greatest minds, the economic power, and the military might of the Holy Roman Empire could not. But nevertheless, Jesus has the way to life, and they do not. That's good news. It is unexpected good news. Remembering and centering that unexpected good news of Jesus, the unlikely hero, helps us to read and love the Bible better. Because it is often easy to forget just how unexpected this Jesus is. But for us as Christians, Jesus is the clearest revelation of God that we have. He is the Rosetta Stone, the cipher, the interpretation that helps us to understand not only the rest of scriptures, but to understand God, God's self. And so in our Bible, there is not one, but four of these stories, standing side by side, each painting their own portrait of Jesus. And while they have much in common, these portraits are not the same. There have been times that this mosaic of Jesus' biographies of Gospels has troubled the church. But nevertheless, we have kept them and keep them still, all four, side by side. Each of these stories of Jesus being a story of Gospel, of good news, of unexpected good news from this Jesus of Nazareth, the one we call Christ. And so when we put Jesus at the center with his strange teachings like love your enemies or including those people like Zacchaeus, the tax collector, when we remember to prioritize Jesus and turn the other cheek or even dying for what we believe in, then we get a glimpse of how to read and love the Bible Now, as you all know, I ended up going to Eureka College, run-down buildings, cornfields and all. 
And it was one of the most foundational times of my life. I recruit every young person I can to go there. Eli can tell you how annoying that can be. <laughs> and even though it's off the beaten path in buildings that weren't so shiny and new, it was there that I learned more deeply, made friendships that lasted, and where I really think that I became an adult. As it turned out, the camel hair buildings didn't really matter. You'd think they'd be more clear, but that's a hard lesson to learn, as attracted to beauty and newness as we are. What really mattered is what happened in them, what they allowed, what they pointed to, this life transformed by community and a love for learning. It was good, unexpectedly good. To wrap up, I think that one of the myths that comes with following Jesus is that we have to become Jesus. And as you might have figured out, especially if you have followed Jesus longer than about two hours, is that that's not really possible. We might all be called to be ministers, and indeed in this church we believe that we are, but none of us is the Messiah. If there's anything that I hope you hear today, it's this. The good news is we don't save ourselves. That's all Jesus. But when we do our part of loving God, when we know that through Jesus it just might be that we become more like John the Baptist, the one who points the way to the good news, that we can embody that scripture of Isaiah, that we are going ahead that we are a messenger sent ahead who will prepare the way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. If we do it right, we become more like scripture where there is evidence of Jesus' saving power can be found not only in verses and books, but in life, in ministry, in our actions, in our words, and in our being. And so while none of us really go around in camel's hair, and to my knowledge, none of you dine on locusts, although I think some of you have probably tried the occasional cricket as a novelty. Nevertheless, in our weirdness, in our strangeness, in our ordinariness, in our unexpectedness, too, as parents and spouses, as children, as neighbors, We can join the chorus of good news and prepare the way for Jesus to show up in the life of just one more person. It's cliche, my friends, but it's true. Your life will likely be the only Bible that most people will read this week. And so make sure there is something worth reading, but importantly, don't point them back to you. Give them the unexpected good news of Jesus. Amen. This sermon podcast is a ministry of First Christian Church, El Reno, Oklahoma. It is preached about 85% of the time by Senior Minister Colton Lott, about 10% of the time by Associate Minister Tara Dew, and about 5% of the time from a beloved guest. If you check the math and we're wrong, don't worry about it. <laughs>
This podcast is produced by communications coordinator Rachel Carlson, and the instrumentalization you hear is by Chris Prather, our bell choir director, percussionist, and composer in residence. Christian community is made up by the individuals who show up each week. And so while this has been preached and produced by some, it is the work of many. So whether you show up with your body or with your enthusiasm, with your dollars, with your prayers, or your love, thank you for making the body of Christ real and felt and known. Go and be a blessing this day and always, friends. Amen.